1: So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit gocoastguard.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wanna Be Walkons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast brought to you by the Herd at Sports Network. I'm Drew, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ben.
0: Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com.
1: On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Lincoln, Nebraska's Code Beer Co., React to the Iowa game, recount our journey through beer this season, and reflect on the Huskers' 2022 campaign.
0: I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. sharp-eared listeners might be questioning right out of the gate (laughs) man what is wrong with those two do they they get sick together do they both have colds rsv what's going on no we have lost our voices and we are working our way back for all of you we were at the iowa game yeah some of you might have lived the greatest moment in our lives as husker fans and seen (laughs) us on tv hoisting the trophy and we'll get into more of all of that but please bear with us for the next what is going to be like five hours of content, We've got it feels a lot like. Of, yeah, we got a lot to talk about, and I don't have, I don't
1: have enough of a voice
0: for it, but if, it if, was worth it. Oh, man. If we haven't been self conscious about hearing our voices before, <laughs> this is sure going right. to take it to the next level. Well, Drew, not only do we get off the high of a Friday win uh, on Black Friday against Iowa, but we then wake up to some news that we have been greatly appreciate or excuse me, greatly awaiting and mm-hmm. appreciative of to hear, at least yeah. on my end. Uh, Nebraska hired their 31st full-time head coach in Matt rule, just shooting from the hip, talking from the gut. What are some of your first thoughts that come to mind when it comes to Matt rule and what this could mean for the program? I know that when this comes out, they will have had the press conference, right? We know that, you know, the, the report is that he's getting 9 million a year over eight years. That might be more specified with bonuses, stuff like that. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty on that stuff. Yeah. Just want to hear from one Husker fan talking to another Husker fan. How do you feel about this? Um,
1: I really like the hire. Um, and I think that uh, after we see the press conference um, and people really get their first impression of Matt Rule, if they haven't already kind of started um, digging up stuff on the Internet um, from, from him from the past, I think you're going to see a guy that um, is very well poised and well spoken. Um, he, he's a guy that knows what he wants to do. He has a, he has a plan wherever he goes. Um, and I think he's going to use a lot of um, buzzwords that Nebraska fans are going to be looking for in, in terms of, of, you know, development, um, building guys in the trenches, um, playing a style of ball that is suited to the talent that he has on his roster rather than, you know, having a system. <clears throat> excuse me. It's going to be a long episode. So <laughs> I got I. Yeah. Um, but he's he's not the type of guy that, that um, has a system that he's that he's beholden to. Um, he ran a very different offense and a different defense at Temple than he did at Baylor, and he found success in both places. So, um, yeah, I like the hire. I like the hire because of, of what he provides for Nebraska, and I think what Nebraska needed to get with this hire. Um, it's a big enough name. Um, hopefully it brings some stability, but also it's a guy that's going to be able to build the pro- program back um, to to a point that I think we can start to enjoy.
0: Yeah. I think we're going to, we're going to enjoy Matt rules, double D's and that's defense and development, right? (laughs) Like those are two things that he really excels at. He's a defensive minded coach. He's a developmental minded coach. He's a guy that's going to go hard on the kids in practice. He's going to give them everything they can handle in practice. And then in some of his quotes, he says, you know, on game day, they're all my superheroes, right? I'm there to elevate them and lift them up because we've done that preparation. And it, feels like it's been empty talk coming from the last full-time head coach in scott frost saying you know we're gonna practice hard so that the game day is easy and you got this sense hearing that over and over and over that it's like do they really know what that means is that really what's going on and taking place matt rule has this body of work that shows that's what's going on and if you even watch him on the sidelines when he's coaching players he says i don't yell at my guys i don't get down on my guys and you can see him like doing the give me your eye contact thing and trying to elevate guys after bad plays and encouraging guys and that sort of thing. And it's the right kind of sideline energy. It's something that Mickey brought to the table as well as the interim coach where he's trying to elevate and keep the energy high for his guys. And he brings that on a Saturday. Um, I'm excited for this, man. When you look at his resume, the big detractor that people are going to throw at you is his top 25 wins. Yeah. Like that, that feels like the easy, Oh, he can't win against top 25 opponents. And it's like, well, He's had three seasons at Baylor, four seasons at Temple. How often at Temple was he facing that top twenty-five opponent? Not very often. Mm-hmm. When he did, he got those wins. And Baylor's a, a, a new a new type of top twenty-five when you're playing in the Big Twelve versus uh, playing in 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 the you know the group of five. So yeah. I, I'm not too concerned. I think if he had had more time at Baylor, he was going to have more wins against top twenty-five he would have opponents. Had more
1: opportunities, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the other the other thing that um, I think is going to give some people some hesitancy is um, he's never really stuck around one place for too long. That um, The, the eight year contract, you'd like to think that that provides some stability or some like long term, um, I guess, relief in that in that if that is a concern for you. I will say that I think when he got hired on at Baylor, he signed a seven year contract initially. So he obviously didn't stick that one out. Um, so the eight years doesn't guarantee that he'll be here for eight years, obviously. Um, but I think at least from an optics perspective, it says that Nebraska is committed to him, and he's committed to Nebraska.
0: Um, and I, it, I would ask this to to push back on that: if he leaves after three or four years, that would mean that some pretty damn good shit's been happening. If he Sorry, chooses, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> that that feels yeah. like oh man. He's building upon, like, he's not going to leave Nebraska for, you know, a group of five job. He might make a lateral move to another power five job if, you know, he played at Penn State. Who knows if that would be like a dream job for him, something like that. But in order for a Penn State to want him, especially with the recent success they've had with James Franklin, that would mean. That he's had success at Nebraska and he's a proven winner in the Big Ten. Yeah, and making that move to a Big Ten East school. Yeah,
1: if he's out of here in three years of his own accord to move up or to move over, um, it's because he did another job flipping a flipping a program. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that I guess yeah, that's a good way to look at that. Um, it's the
0: only way I can yeah. right now. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it is I, a detractor on his on his resume is that he doesn't hang out super long. But you know, then again, neither a, did Scott Frost. Yeah, and, and we like, were excited to bring him in. This guy just doesn't happen to have those Nebraska ties. So some people are quick to say, well, that's bad for him, but it's good on, you know.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, yeah. You don't look at it as like, oh, this dude is just rising through the ranks at a very quick pace. Um, and that happens a lot. Like that's just, that's a, that's just part of the profession. Um, I understand where, like where there is hesitancy though, you know, and and I think it's fine for people to, um, to not be a hundred percent bought in, Sure, you know, to have reservations or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't agree with people who are actively like detracting from the hire um or you know trying to trying to tear it down without, you know, giving it some chance or benefit of the doubt. So um but I think that there's a good you can strike a good middle road there and say like, yeah, like this is a great hire, but we also want to see you know what what can really happen here, what you know, what he can do once he's here and um I,
0: I so. think it's it's also um it would be a miss for us to not I know they're not going to listen. I know that those ears aren't coming to our podcast, but to thank the current staff or the interim staff that did an incredible job of keeping this team engaged, keeping them energized. Mickey Joseph's work throughout this entire season cannot go unnoticed. I know that there's Husker fans around the world who want Mickey Joseph to stay at Nebraska because of what he brings as a wide receivers coach, a recruiting coach, and as a mentor to these young players. I would throw Bill Bush into that conversation as well, for sure. Um, especially after what we saw from Bill Bush on Friday, being so close to <laughs> yeah. the action. But with, with Mickey and Bill and all these coaches who've given their all, at the same time, for me, I want what's best for him because they sacrificed a lot this year to hang around when they could have started shopping around. These are qualified guys. These are guys who could work in, in any division higher or lower than the big 10 and find success and longevity plant their roots. And they stuck around for Nebraska and it culminated in a season ending victory where not only did we get the win, but we also got to ruin Iowa's season as well. And (laughs) and if that doesn't just bring you the ultimate joy, uh, I'm just so grateful Uh, for what that entire coaching staff did. That was led by Mickey Joseph. Um, you know, whatever Matt rule decides when it comes to keeping Mickey or letting Mickey find another opportunity. Um, we're going to have that special time and, and, and be able to look back on Mickey and say like, this was the guy from Nebraska who put us in a better situation than we were in when he took the job yeah. and when he left it, whenever that happens to be. And for that, I can't be more grateful.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I mean, I'm right in step with you there. Um, like you said, like this whole thing really could have fallen apart. Um, and it was, you know, he didn't get the results that they wanted in a lot of games. Um, but I, I think that that this season you know after the first few games you could kind of tell like it wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna happen they weren't gonna get the wins that they wanted and so um, so yeah at that point the the success um, that Mickey could have and did bring was was just in keeping the guys together and, and keeping the the players and the program moving in that one direction together um, and so and it did I'm so happy I'm happy for the for the coaches and the players. Um, Culminating in that victory at Iowa because that was, a, I mean, that was, uh, that was a big win. Like even though yeah. it didn't really, it didn't really mean anything ultimately, um, I think it meant a lot to um, a lot of those people that were there day in and day out and that stuck through. Um, and so and yeah, and just and obviously being there, you know, watching it, it obviously meant a lot to us as fans because you know oh, we're yeah. sitting there yelling our heads off. Um, to a point where you know we sacrificed. We laid it all out there. We left our voices. Hey, you on know the what? Field.
0: <laughs> we we did literally nothing yeah. on the field. We did nothing that impacted the game, but we did everything in our hearts yeah. to, to give as much encouragement as we could. Man, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't regret losing my voice for a second. Oh, I not don't at regret. All. My my body is sore. I don't know about you, but like I was slamming the pads in front of our seats uh, yeah. on the sidelines so hard that my entire right shoulder feels worse <laughs> than Spencer says Like I. I can't lift my arm right now, which tells me like how out of shape, how, <laughs> just right. how, how terrible, like my body is falling apart. Like I've, I've, I've created children. I've procreated. So the purpose of my life is now over <laughs> with my body's just like, let's check out. It's done. There's no extracurricular activity that this guy should be doing because like it's just like wasting away already at, at 34 years old good lord
1: oh man that's right i walked
0: away with bruises on both my knees oh yeah yeah well from,
1: that's just from leaning against con- a concrete so, wall
0: um uh, some some family members were like how did you get those tickets and i was like well i bought them uh, and they're like okay and then i go but man i can't tell you how how bad the bruises are on my knees and they're like are you sure that's how you got the tickets I was like, <laughs> yeah no, no 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 the the railings were about knee height and their bruised. i'll sh-. and they're like giving me a oh that's good yeah they got me on that one oh man the the last thing I want to bring up about the Matt Rule hire um Uh is my my goal for this team and I, I kind of thought long and hard and I know there's going to be a lot of people talking about like get to a bowl game how many wins in that first season like what what's going to be the expectation for Matt Rule uh and and what's going to be the ultimate outcome and I think the way that our schedule sets up Next year, uh, we start with Minnesota, who's been a team that we have struggled with the past few years. P.J. Fleck knows how to scheme against Nebraska. They're going to be missing some of their key players from this season, but they also reload really well there. And their strength and conditioning is really great. Their offensive line is always a challenge. Their defensive line is always a challenge. So we open with Minnesota, and I think we're going to learn a lot about how has this team grown in the offseason by that first game. I don't want to make a, a wins and loss prediction or anything like that because it's That's way little too little early for something like that. <laughs> a bit early. But what I do want to say is I want a team led by a guy where I don't feel like I've got to trade wins. And what I mean by that is when we lost to Wisconsin this year, I thought, well, we now have a chance against Iowa because it felt like we had to trade these wins one over the other where I want this season or next season or moving forward under Matt Rule to be a building block. Like this win is now a building block to go in and get the next one. And we got over this hurdle, so now it's this. Whereas this season felt like, okay, we got over that hurdle, but did we learn anything? You know, what did we take away from that? Is is a win here gonna translate to more success down the road, or is it just like we put everything into it? Yeah. For the Iowa game, put everything into it. It's your last game of the season, there's nothing to lose, that but felt like a closed book. Like right. yeah. That was the end of that
1: era and this feels like a very fresh start. Like that Iowa win didn't break any curses. It didn't it's not gonna catapult us into the next year. Yeah. Um you know, I don't like that. Would, that felt like it was a very final thing, and I think that I like again. Yeah, we're not going to do any predictions or anything, Matt. But Matt Rule, his um, his track record at, at Temple and Baylor were to tear things down and start from scratch. Yeah, and so those first the first year um, at those schools was rough, like from a record standpoint and just from a, a, a point of growth. Um, and so that's something that you know, I, as we get closer to the season. Um, we might we might be riding that like that wave of hope and, oh, yeah. and you know, and that renewed energy and wanting to predict a bull But um but it is something to at least keep in mind. Like uh, when you're building a program the way that Matt Rule does it, he's gonna need to lay down that foundation first. You can hope that maybe what Mickey did here, Mickey and Bill Bush and the rest of that staff and these players, you can hope that what they did was they did actually start laying that foundation this year. Um and that we get some some of those dividends paid off next year. Um, and maybe get, that helps kind of pro, uh, propel the building process.
0: Yeah, you know, when I look forward to next year and I start thinking about what, what are my realistic expectations for this team and you look at what Matt Rule's been capable of, I think one of the fascinating things to look at is like his statistics successfully he was the first coach at Temple to take him to back-to-back bowl games, but it took three and four seasons to do that. Yeah. Um, he was the first coach to ever go from 11 losses to 11 wins at a program, and he did that at Baylor. So he's got a track record, like you said, of building, but those first few years are rough. I think Husker fans might be in for um, another tough season that we've you know, gotten used to, but I think that we might see a similar success that Brett Bielema brought to Illinois and that we've seen kind of the – the middle fruit of that so far, right? He had a yeah. really tough first season where they win five games. Now he's one game out from winning the West, and I don't think Belum was slowing down. I think he might wind up. They might be the the favorites going into yeah. Next they season. very well could be. Um, and and I think that that's exciting. You know, to to know that that kind of growth can take place in the Big Ten West. All the stuff coming out of Belaba, as a side note. um, this, this weekend has been incredible. I don't know if you heard his father-in-law passed away oh, on Wednesday. I hadn't, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to coach just because of a great relationship with his father-in-law. Um, he gave a really nice kind of eulogy to him in the presser. It was, was really touching. Uh, and then I also saw that Pat Fitzgerald was the first coach to reach out to him and offer his condolences. Bielema also lost his mom this season. And so it's been a rough season for yeah, yeah. Uh Pat Fitzgerald was also the first coach to reach out over that. And so, you know, again, these aren't people who are going to listen to this podcast, but it's just nice to hear kind of that community is camaraderie? Is going on in yeah. the Big Ten West, but also that, like, you got a guy like Belama who kind of puts it all on the line for his players as well. And I, and I think that Trev recognizes that, Trev Alberts does, and is going to bring another coach into the fold that fits not only with the school, but with the conference and mm-hmm. provides that same kind of leadership and expectation and care. And so yeah I'm, I mean, I'm excited for this. I really trust in Trev Albert's, yeah, and if for him to go through this entire search, like a friggin secret agent, no secrets revealed. It's yeah. like the friggin cold War where like, we've got all the secrets and no one's going to get him exposed, and mm. then for it to, to come out, I, I really think that Trev did his due diligence, and like that to me is the best um, optimistic point of view I can bring. is like Trev did the right thing, did the right search, and this was his guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very it's a very clear like you had a plan and he was executing his plan, um, you know, primarily behind closed doors. And like the minute that that game was over, that's when stuff got leaked.
0: Yeah. Like it was all it was all timed out. Now, it was Pete Ricketts with him at the game. Do you think Pete leaked it? <laughs> Pete the leak. <laughs> Pete the leaker. Um, all right. Well, that's, I think, enough talking about Matt Rule. Uh, There's There's going to be so much much coming out. It's going to be a long off season of just learning all this great stuff, getting excited. And I hope everyone gets to ride that roller coaster. I know that we are. And when we come back for our season preview, we're going to predict a 12 and 0 record anyway. So, you know, we (laughs) might as well have some fun with it. Um, But we are a football and beer podcast. So it is our job to share a, a new brewery that we haven't covered before on the show. And that is Code Beer Company. Um, we've got a very special beer to talk about with this one as well, but first I want to start with a little profile on Code Beer. All right, and I'm really excited for this one. We actually got this information um, from Matt Goring, who is uh, one of the owners and brewers at Code. He sent me this information personally, so I'm excited to share a firsthand account. What's his
1: What's his last name?
0: Goring. Goring. G O H R I N G. Oh, okay. It sounds like the guy that created the Simpsons. That's Graining. Okay. <laughs> so he did not create the Simpsons. Oh. That'd I don't be, think. Yeah, I mean he yeah. didn't sneak that into my <laughs> yeah, profile. That would be, that'd be a weird thing not to mention. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so Code Beer Company is owned by Adam Holmberg and founded by both Adam Holmberg and Matt Garning. Goring, excuse me. Code Beer Company was born out of a background in home brewing. Both Adam and Matt homebrewed beer on their own, Adam in Arizona and Matt in Lincoln. It quickly became an obsessive hobby for Matt, and he spent eight years honing his craft. Adam and his family moved back to Lincoln and soon after approached Matt about taking his hobby full-time and starting a brewery. After some some convincing over some beers, Adam and Matt decided it was time to go professional and thus Code Beer was born. The guys decided to place their brewery in a neighborhood in Lincoln that was slated for revitalization. The project included apartments and condos along with mixed-use commercial space. They could see the potential that the revitalization could make for the neighborhood and wanted to be part of shaping the area. The neighborhood was to be named the Telegraph District after both the Lincoln Telegraph and Telephone Company Warehouse building and the Telegraph Museum. Being a new neighborhood, Matt and Adam wanted to help promote the area and decided to base their brewery name on the Telegraph theme. Uh, telegraphy is about Moore's Code, and they liked the more general idea of code in order to expand on the theme. I know that their growlers have Moore's Code on the side and their bottles and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, glasses. So it's, cool. it's really cool. Matt and Adam bought their used brew house from a Goose Island-owned brew pub in Chicago's Wrigleyville area. The entire project included decommissioning and dismantling the brewery equipment and extracting it from the building it lived in since 1997. It was a crazy and busy four days to get everything taken apart and loaded up for its trip to Lincoln. Code Beer Company opened its doors on July 29, 2017. As far as their brewing philosophy, Code brews a bit of everything but their classic and lager styles really shine. While they do play around with some of the trendier beers like fruited, hazies, pastries, et cetera, Matt and Adam really enjoy beer-flavored beer. Sounds like guys right after our own heart. When brewing classic styles, Code sources the appropriate ingredients to make the most authentic version that they can. They even go as far as to lager their German lager beers for upwards of eight weeks. Code named their brewery after the neighborhood in which they reside because they felt it necessary to put down deep roots in the community. They strive to help out Lincoln, not just in their backyard, but throughout the city. Since opening in 2017, they've worked with many different local charities and organizations to help raise money, donations, and awareness. They care about helping those in need and providing people with a safe place to gather and socialize. Having a brewery is obviously about making and selling beer, but it can also be so much more. Um, One thing that they did want us to note is that coming up on December 11th, Code is having their annual Chili for Charity event. The event is part chili contest and part donation gathering for the Lincoln Food Bank. To participate, a donation of food items, personal care items, or just $5 will allow you to taste all 20 different chilies and vote on your favorite. It's a fun event that brings out a lot of the community and helps raise money, food, and personal care items to those in need right before the Christmas holiday. If you'd like to find out more information on this event, you can check out Code Beer Company on their Facebook page. So that is a little introduction to Code Beer, the Craziest thing about bringing that entire brewery from Chicago, Goose Island, like th- that that equipment just has to have like a, a little special kiss on it coming from Goose Island, especially <laughs> yeah. with what they're known for for this weekend, which is their, their their bourbon, bourbon county yeah. and all that fun stuff. yeah um, that's cool. That's
1: another example of a Nebraska brewery that's just so involved with their community um, right from their right from their own inception. Um, you know they dug their roots in deep right off the bat. Um, so that's really neat to hear, and I will say I went out to Lincoln to um, to pick up the beer, and, and my wife and I we stopped in and, and tried a couple on tap. Um, and they have such a cool cool space there. Um, they got like the exposed brick, the exposed beam, real comfortable seating, dog friendly, family friendly. Um, you got your regulars at the bar, who your bartender knows by name. Um, you've got you know guys walking around with other craft, you know local their brewery shirts on who know their stuff, and then. You here another conversation of somebody like, oh, what's an IBU? Um, and so it's just this like really wonderful mix of, um, you know, people maybe who are experienced with the craft industry or, or not and, and experiencing it for the first time or getting familiar with it. And so um, it was really neat. And they had the food trucks out there, too. And um, yeah, it was great. And then, of course, the beer. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk to about top that. it all up, yeah. right? The beer was um, was great. Uh, we we tried their robust porter, which when they say robust porter, they mean robust porter. That thing was packed with that's gonna be right with up your alley. Big, yeah, the big big roasty malt flavor. Um, so that was a really good one. And then we we I tried the E S Rogers ESB, which uh, I brought some back for you and I um, as well. And so we can. I don't know if we're gonna talk about that one. Yeah, first. let's. Yeah. Uh, this
0: is a really special beer, and we've got a it great is. friend of the it's show, Bill, cool. who's. Uh, we talked about Bill before, and and he's just been a great ally to our show. He's he's listened to our show from the start. So hi, Bill. We're we're hey really Bill. excited to feature this beer. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's a, an avid home brewer, but he's also someone who knows the beer community um, mm-hmm. in Nebraska, and and occasionally collaborates on beers, provides recipes, things that he's tested out, and he's brewed this very special beer. And and, and Drew's got a little to tell us about this beer uh, that uh, that Bill made for his family.
1: Yeah. So this is this is Roger's ESB, and uh, Roger was Bill's father-in-law. Um, you know, when I was talking to, to Bill about him, I mean, he, and they put up a good, a good post on, on Facebook, on their Facebook page that kind of detailed, um, a lot of, of what Roger, of who Roger was and what he meant to, to Bill and their family, um, but uh, this was, Bill, Bill brewed this beer in honor of Roger, who was a big fan of the malty beers. He preferred the malt over the hops. Um, he would always, uh, he was always willing to sample and, and provide feedback to Bill on his home <laughs> <laughs> homebrew recipes, which I think would be a pretty great job. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, The man was a Vietnam vet um, and just, it sounds like just an all-around great guy. And so um, he passed recently, and so this was Bill's way to honor him. And I think it was the perfect way to honor somebody um, who appreciated a good craft beer because they they produced a really great great ESB.
0: Yeah, this is this is a beer style that you and I both love. This is one where when we find it on a menu, it's kind of like uh, a pale ale, a cream ale, an ESB. Like there's certain beer styles that when you go to a brewery, you're like, well, it sounds like a very forward, you know, base beer, but something, but it's it's hard to do right. It's hard to do well. Yeah. And this is one that, like you said, has that maltiness, that sweetness, but then is perfectly balanced by that bitterness. And it's those those within themselves that just make these beers so special and so hard but also so familiar and comforting Yeah. so I mean yeah I can't think of a better kind of beer to lay tribute to someone than to say like hey this is this is someone who on the surface is one thing but inside is complex and you know it's hard to pull off another one like you and something yeah. like that so it's it's such a beautiful tribute like you said and you know we wish Bill's family all the best and, and um, you know it's, didn't get to meet Roger but we got to experience his beer which again that's another beautiful part of the tradition is being able to carry that on and anytime someone drinks this beer you know they can toast to the memory so yeah absolutely yeah. awesome well check out code if you haven't before we're going to try some more of them a little bit later on in the show thank you to bill for brewing that beer uh with code and for uh, helping us get in touch with matt as well to get that awesome profile on them but now it's time to move in to what i feel is like a main event for us um and that's talking about going to the Iowa game. Not just talking about the Iowa game itself, but going to the Iowa game. And I have a little surprise for you, Drew. We got a phone call uh, from a listener. Okay. And uh, let's see if we can get this to play. Uh, this was this was called in on the Wannabe Talk Ons hotline. Nice. Hey, guys. This is Kathy. We
1: watched the Nebraska-Iowa game, and I saw you both on TV. Really glad you kept that bad language to a minimum. I don't think I saw you say any f bombs at any of
0: the moments we saw you. Congrats! So Kathy gave us a call. Oh, that's awesome. And wanted to thank us for not uh, saying fuck it all on TV. She has Sorry, no Kathy. idea. They just didn't catch us saying it. We, yeah. we got we got hit on TV uh, during the national anthem. Yep. Hats off, hands on hearts, paying our respects. Very respectful in that moment. And then we got hit at the end of the game when Garrett Nelson handed us the friggin' heroes. Yeah, trophy. and my first words were, "Holy
1: fuck!" <laughs>
0: that was incredible. Um, but I I wanted to go through and give some shout outs uh, before we get into anything. So I want to give a big thank you for this Iowa trip uh, to Ben Siders, who you can follow at uh, Arch underscore Hawk for DMing us his best tips for going to the Iowa game. We followed them to a T. Uh, and, and he told us where to eat before the game, where to park, where to hang out, how frequently to get beers, <laughs> when to go to the bathroom, all this sort of stuff. We followed it, and and Ben, we got to thank you. It was an amazing experience, uh, and everything worked out so well for us. Uh, yeah, thank on that you trip. so much. That was yeah.
1: a phenomenal guide.
0: Yeah, um, we sat first row on the Nebraska side uh, at the 35 yard line on the on the north side of the 50. And when we say we were first row, we mean like. Uh, had we fallen forward, we would have been on the field. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was yeah. just absolutely insane. Um, Drew, what were some of your favorite moments just from being at the Iowa game itself? Um, well, so this
1: is my first road game ever. So just um, the whole experience, I was just like a little little kid, you know, on, on Christmas. Um, my, I, I think the, the moment that caught me off guard that I wasn't expecting to, like, enjoy as much as I did. Maybe it makes me sound like I'm a bad person. But the wave is everything that everybody oh says God. it is. It really
0: is. That's I have that in my notes as well. That like,
1: yeah, I yeah. it, it happens after the first quarter, and I honestly forgot that, that 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 they that that was coming up, and so it was like, oh, we're gonna do this now, and I and you turn around, and you you start waving, you know, the whole crowd's doing it, and then all of a sudden you start, start seeing all these little hands in the windows, um, and all these little kids start waving back, and it really is like a it is a. Sorry, Kathy. It's a fucking. It's a beautiful fucking moment. It really, it is. really is. I um, mean, you see, it caught up in the emotion of that, um, and so that was really wonderful. Um, obviously, the the win was great. the the um, The celebration from the players was incredible. That they to see them, you know, go scoop up that trophy. Um, Garrett Nelson was re, was really. He wanted every Nebraska fan to touch that trophy, and he made sure that that happened. Um, and that tells you that it, you know. He he loves Nebraska, yeah. Um, but he also understands like how important it is to the fans in the state. Um, like he's a he's one of those guys that you say like he he gets it, like he really does. Um, seeing Bill Bush after the game, um, he came down and 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 celebrated with the fans too. Um, he, the, the man, that's another one. he gets it. Like that's yeah. a man who like he legitimately legitimately loves this program. He loves this state and he loves being here and doing what he's doing. So, um. I mean, all of that, like all those, all those like special moments, I think are the ones that are going to stick and stand out.
0: Yeah, I, I got to say as well, Iowa fans, I. Th- I thought were actually quite the treat. They were really kind. They were really yeah. nice. We sat next to a pair of Iowa fans who were really nice to talk to. They talked about their trip to Minnesota. They didn't s- say poorly of Minnesota, but they also didn't compliment Minnesota, <laughs> which I thought was Just fine. was telling. Yeah. Um, but you know the the game day experience in Iowa. It's a little bit of a smaller stadium, not by much, uh, but but it, it feels completely different than Memorial Stadium. The production uh, of everything going on is completely different, and it's yeah. really neat to see what these two different schools are like and what their traditions are and, and, and where there aren't traditions, right? So like the tunnel walk, you think, well, that feels like something that every team does as they come out of the tunnel and they run on the field. But like Nebraska's tunnel walk versus Iowa's tunnel walk is just two different things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Iowa team gets jacked up when you hear back in black. And like, that's their serious, right? Like that's their moment. Yeah. They have a hawk fly onto the field. They have the flyover. They have the fireworks. They have that same production. And it's just, it's all a little bit different. So everything feels kind of like, you do feel a little out of place where you're like, no, that's not how football happens. Like that's not. um, But again, the experience was just incredible. Like you said, the wave was, I don't know if that the wave would have made an impact as, as much as it did. Had I not, if I'm a, weren't a parent. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. It would have still like crushed me. But like, I think we both had tears when we turned back to the game. It was, Oh yeah. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah. And to just, again, I don't have a conflated head. Hopefully people don't feel that way. I know that it's not the individual us waving to the individual kid. It's the act of the whole doing it, but like it is, it is just so nice to feel connected um, with 70,000 people and to, to say like, we love and support these kids that are going through absolute hell and that we all get to enjoy what's going on here. And, and that's a connection that's been lost the past few years uh, because of like COVID and, and things of that nature. So to be connected in that moment, it's it's not just about waving to kids. It's that whole feeling that kind of overwhelmed me where it was like we're, we're part of something right now. Yeah. And that being a part of something just feels good. Yeah. Nebraska really wanted this win, though. And that's what those seats taught me is being right next to the bench and seeing those guys. Like they were laser focused. Um, we were yelling louder than I think I've ever yelled at a game because I knew people could hear me. <laughs> right and we did not break their concentration we did not break their focus we did not they i mean we could have reached out and hit someone but i was too scared to because i did not want to throw off whatever was going on and and that's again that's part of that experience right like mm-hmm. there is this there's 3 feet that separate us but there's a great distance between me and them being on the field if that makes sense 100%, like yeah they are there for a reason i am where i'm at for a reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you you mentioned Bill Bush and his celebration, and I just want to go into a little bit more detail okay about Billy Bush yeah. because he was standing right in front of us on our end of the field. The play was taking place that last Iowa drive where Clarvic made the interception was on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. He's a safeties coach. Like he he works in the backfield. So his point of view was best from where we were sitting, and he was, you know, dialing up pressure. He was calling what he needed to do, and we were like inches away from interceptions before this. And then that one hit and man, if that guy didn't celebrate yeah. and if we didn't start screaming,
1: Billy, boy, Billy, <laughs> Bill,
0: great call Bill. And he turns and points to us yeah. and he goes, that's it. That's fucking black shirts, baby. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And then he, Bill Bush throws the bones at us. Yes. And then after in the celebration, we get high fives from Bill Bush. Like that's a, a moment and a memory that I will just cherish as a fan. Mm-hmm. It, it, as much as being able to touch the trophy in that moment, because just getting to see then like that laser focus and then that shell that shield drop, yeah, and they could finally rejoice in that moment. Just a raw outpouring was just was just awesome. And you know, not every away game is going to be like that. Not every victory or loss or game is going to be like that. But this one, like we had said earlier, like you said, I think true. This this just felt like a special moment this felt like something that this team needed this fan base needed these coaches needed you know nothing's deserved but things can be earned and this felt earned by not giving up on the season that that whole experience so um yeah man thank you to iowa fans for being so kind again thank you to ben for all the recommendations um i also want to shout out scott brun who's the nebraska director of photography for the university um he took some pictures of us i sent him a message saying hey can i buy a couple copies of those from you and he was just like, thanks for coming. I'm glad you guys had a great time. Here's the photos. And he just yeah. sent me over the high res version. So thank you to, to him as well. That like everyone that we encountered for some reason, we must've just looked like the biggest idiots. They were just <laughs> like, just let them have fun. But everything
1: was like so magical. I know. It It and really it, it, was. It was again, hard not to just walk around with the biggest grin.
0: We're, we're two people amongst 70,000 and it just felt curated for exactly <laughs> what we wanted the day to be. <laughs> it really was. Like, it's wild. We got to the brewery. It was barely busy. We walked in. We sat down. They got us beer right away. Our food came out immediately. It and came it-
1: out before I ordered it. It was, the service was, it was at Big, Big Grove. Big Grove, by yeah, the way. Yeah, which
0: they had a phenomenal food.
1: Yeah. An incredible lineup of beer. Their space was, it was so cool. Yeah. Um. So if you're ever out in Iowa City, if you make it to a game or if you're just in that area, Big Grove Brewing, go.
0: Yeah, and then they yeah. also had beer at the stadium from Big Grove, they which we did. got to enjoy. They had beer at the stadium. We got to drink during a game. Well, we drank before. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had finished our beer before kickoff, which that's is true. that's an us thing, not a them thing. But yeah. we also had a drive in front of us. So we wanted to be responsible and, yeah. and have plenty of time so that we could drive back safely. Also, and- I needed to make
1: sure I wasn't like drinking so much that I did start saying things <laughs> to the players.
0: <laughs> I think the only... The only person we criticized on the offensive side of the ball, or on the, excuse me, not the offense, the Iowa side of the ball, was Brian Ferentz. Oh, yeah. That was bad. Even about the it. Iowa fans were getting in on <laughs> I that. I think they were so meaner than we were. Yeah, we were just like, no, were. he's doing great, guys. Yeah. <laughs> he's, this is exactly what we want out of him. <laughs> So yeah, an incredible experience. Kinnick's a cool stadium. The way that it sits into the ground, the way that it's amongst the, kind of just the downtown. It's not even where it feels like a full on campus. It feels it like it all blends yeah, together, which is a neat space. Um, God, I just I highly recommend it for Nebraska fans. Not a terrible drive from Omaha or Lincoln. Yeah, um, and I I have no reason to think that we wouldn't be back out there in two years. I would yeah, I'd love to make that a tradition. So especially. After a, a, a second season with Matt Rule yeah. at, <laughs> right. at the helm. So, uh, so let's talk about this this game, uh, less our personal experience and, and more what went on in the game. The final game of the 2022 season when Nebraska takes the Heroes Trophy from Iowa with a score of 24-17. to 17. Uh,
1: Takes away the Big Ten West from them. Oh, and, even better.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I predicted Michigan-Purdue at the t- start of the season yeah, on, the, on the did. Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. That was yep. my pick. And, uh, I
1: was, right. yeah, it probably happened exactly how you expected it to happen too. Right. Well, you no. getting
0: like a backdoor cover <laughs> <They> <laughs> like, literally like the halfway through that game. I was like, man, I hope Illinois is winning because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to beat Iowa and then send Iowa. And oh, man, and then yeah. I, that team, again, like we talked about, they must've just rallied around coach and like Illinois was not going to lose that game no, for or no. high water. Um, but yeah, so Nebraska just anyway. hangs a mean one on Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Drew, what are your what are your initial thoughts on the game, or just dive right into I, Nebraska's offense, or where do you want to go?
1: Oh man, I guess I a lot, all my notes more or more or less um very player specific. So I guess we can start on the we can start on the offensive side. Um, Trey Palmer woke up pissed again, as he said, um, and just fucking tore that that defense up like he was getting behind that secondary. Um, he had an eighty-seven yard touchdown catch, obviously, to start off the game. He broke Nebraska's single season record. Scored another touchdown in there. Um, I went and looked um, back at at Iowa's past, all their seasons under Kirk Ferentz. I dug <laughs> oh, through all their I, I know I dug through all their old box scores as far back as I could go. So I couldn't find anything um, starting the two thousand season. It was like, it was hard to find anything. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that that eighty seven yard touchdown play is the longest in the Kirk Ferentz era. The longest play given up by his defense. It's Ooh. at least the longest one given up since 2001 oh
0: and so i didn't think this game could get better so yeah and they've
1: only i mean they just don't give up big plays like that hardly ever um and so and so to start the game like that was so um it was so exciting but then you also have to think like on the iowa side like they're not used to taking a punch like that yeah um, and the, and and Trey Palmer did that against Purdue, and then we saw him just do that all day long. Yep. And so you know they had to, they had to be in the back of their mind like oh shit like we're not gonna be able to cover this guy, which um, they weren't. And they couldn't. They no. really couldn't. Um. And then Wat- Marcus Washington had an, a nice touchdown catch in there yeah. too. And so, um, shout out to him. I think um, Brewington had another catch and run that was really good. And so they were getting a lot of guys involved in the offense. Um. But uh, Trey Palmer his record setting day. Yeah. I think that you give him a shout out. Um, Ramir Johnson was the other guy on offense. Uh, you know, Anthony Grant wasn't having the best day. He wasn't really making good choices in terms of you getting north south. He wasn't getting good blocking to do so. But um, but Ramir came in and, and I thought he had some nice runs and and filled in nicely. Um,
0: yeah, you know they identified Ramir as a as a great choice early on in the game, mm-hmm. and I think that with with Iowa's defensive line, when they know a run is coming, if if you don't make that initial go. you're you're not getting anywhere and that's that's kind of Grant's move right is he's one cut and go whereas Ramirez just go and Mm -hmm. I think that's why Ramirez was effective early on against Iowa is is it was just hey I'm gonna hit my gap and if it's there I've got the speed to just to get uphill and and that was really nice to see him be effective to be confident what a bullshit fumble they called on him I rewatched the game and I don't buy it when he fumbled that ball. I I thought he
1: was on top of the defender, so I thought that's why it counted.
0: No, I know. It's just on replay, it was one of those kind of, it felt fishy to me, and and it felt fishy in the stadium when they cut away from it during the review, and they don't show (laughs) the review. You're like, come on, like at least show us on the the jumbotron. So it felt a little whatever. I mean, I'll still take plus three in the turnover margin for Nebraska, but uh, I thought that that wasn't indicative to have that on his on his stats for the way that he was playing in that game. I think he did a, a great job running. Gabe Irvin also came in and got yeah. some hard yards, mm-hmm. um, did a nice job as well when they needed to, to call upon him. Uh, my big shout outs, you know, you mentioned Palmer and Washington, so I can cross those off the list of mentioning, but I thought our O-line did great in pass pro. Um, they gave Casey enough time they uh, to get uh, the ball to Palmer when he was open. Um, some nice blocking downfield by wide receivers on some screen plays. We saw some nice screens work out early in the game to get Iowa back on their heels. Yeah. Um, that was another way that Palmer factored into the game. It wasn't just you know the deep thread. It was get him the ball and get him out on the edge. They started the game with like four or five straight passes before they yeah. even thought yeah. about running the ball. And Casey had plenty of time to make decisions. Um, so I was just really impressed with the way that the O-line played in pass protection. The 87 yard touchdown, did you watch any of the replays other than just us being there? Or is this all just kind of recollection or uh
1: I didn't I did watch. I went back and watched like just the highlights and okay. stuff afterwards.
0: Call me crazy, but I'm pretty sure that on that touchdown pass, 31, who I think is Campbell on Iowa's defense, like stopped right in front of Casey when Casey went to hitch and throw the he'd, ball. Yeah, he well, he'd stopped to get his hands up. And so I, I had to rewind that a couple of times because I was like, he could have gotten home he could have laid a nasty hit on Casey and it would not have been roughing the passer. or it would have been, I think in motion. I know he was going for th- a play there, but I think just watching that, if, if you go back and rewatch it and just filter through, like, could he have gotten there? Yeah. The speed he was coming in. I thought with the way Casey was hitching to throw, I was surprised he stopped. Yeah, that felt really interesting to me. And I'm, and I'm not trying to take away by any means. <laughs> I couldn't throw the ball as far as Casey. I can't run as fast as hit Palmer. And I, wouldn't, and I wouldn't have been able to get home if I were 31. <laughs> it just was one of those where it was like that, that to me, if I would have seen that from the TV view, I would have been like, I was not, doesn't want to be here. I was not ready to play because those are those kind of plays that make all the difference because yeah. I'd, I'd think I'm going to take the hit on him because what's it going to do? 15 well, yards that's... if he's...
1: Yeah, I'd say and that's the thing is like it was I a mean, year zero zero. That's their second drive. And so I, that's what I caught from it was he he pulled up and it caught my eye, but it was, you know, as I'm like, he, th- he jumped, he put his hands in the air. Um, he pulled off, but I thought that's what it was. I, th- I thought it was okay. He's thinking I can hit this guy, and maybe disrupt the play, but he might also get this pass off and I might get this penalty. And I don't think he wanted to, to give up that penalty. I can, that's buy, what, I can
0: buy that. That's what it looked like. But me. it also looked like he could have gotten there. And that was what surprised me is Iowa doesn't strike me as a, as a defense. That's going to kind of play with that cushion.
1: Iowa doesn't strike you as a conservative team.
0: They, they strike me as a hard hitting defense <laughs> is what they, yeah. if, if it was on offense and they were making that play, I'd be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But if it's on defense, I think, man, I, he's in stride. He's not quite releasing the ball. I've, I've got a chance to really lay a hard hit on him. I'd take it. Yeah. So that, that kind of surprised me. I'm, Look, I'm not mad. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not upset about it. Yeah. It was just surprising to see that from from Iowa's offense and rewatching it. I went, "Oh man!" Like from that perspective, I would have felt even more comfortable just out on that one play. Like there's something about the way Iowa is playing right now that they're they're either thinking Nebraska is going to be too easy, or they're just not in it today just the way that Nebraska either. is. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I don't want to say timid. I'm not trying to piss off no. Iowa fans, okay. you know, or anything. I'm just saying like it was a surprising move. Is all I'm trying to get at. Okay. Okay. And then Cooper DeGene going out for Iowa's defense against that offense. I think that was just a heartbreaker for them. That was, yeah,
1: yeah. That's tough. I mean, that's part of the game, right? You lose players. Nebraska yeah. was playing without their, I would say, one of their top defenders in Luke. Oh, Game, and so it's like,
0: look, we'll, we'll get to that. That Nebraska's sec, you know, second stringers, well, yeah, we'll stepped talk, up to the on. plate a hell of we'll a lot better than on. Iowa's do. But
1: defensive players. Um, but,
0: but not only was he a, you know, a, a defensive juggernaut for that team he's one of their best scorers as far as turnovers (laughs) go and he's also a threat on special teams so like he's one of those all-around players that like it's when you saw
1: them they muffed a punt yeah and yeah like and and um a lot of Trey Palmer's big plays came up against that like number six I think he's a freshman don't know his name Hill I think it was yeah yeah. um yeah so that was yeah I agree that's how you know when you you know you say like oh we're gonna play these guys we want to we want to play the best we want to beat their best yeah um like you do, but at the same time, I feel like.
0: I mean, regardless of who was in there, Trey Palmer didn't seem like he was going to be stopped. Oh. He had a he had a step on everyone. Yeah, as
1: a thing, it's like I don't know. Cooper DeGene's probably. Uh, I mean, he is. He's a great defender. I don't know how fast he is. I don't think he's faster than Trey. No,
0: so, I don't think there's a lot of guys in the in the Big Ten period who are faster than Trey. Yeah, there might be receivers with more yards. There might be guys with more touchdowns. But for pure speed's sake, goes they unless play, unless Matt Mullen. For, I say they yeah. play for Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Mullen does. Trey Palmer's not a speed guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> sidebar: Did you watch any of the Purdue game at all? Um, uh, n- uh, very little. Okay, so <laughs> intentionally, very little. Uh, Matt Mullen uh-huh. said this about Maccabi, their running back. Uh-huh. He goes, "That guy's my favorite bar of soap." And I thought, "What, Kathy? Here it comes. What the fuck <laughs> does that mean?" <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "That guy runs like a bar of soap." Cause he's slippery. He's slippery, and when you try to grab him, he just slips out of your hands. Uh-huh. He goes, "What a bar of soap!" But he didn't give the description right away. Like he didn't describe it right away. He yeah. just said, "That guy's a bar of soap," <laughs> and I was like, "Like in a pillowcase? Like he's gonna beat you and not leave a bruise? Like what is he trying to say?" I have, I have never. I've watched a lot of football in my life. I've listened to a lot of football on the radio. I have never. You, Heard a guy. <laughs> do you do you think there could be a worse
1: duo than Matt Mullen and Robert Griffin III on a call? Oh my gosh! Could you imagine sitting through that? i do not. I don't want to rag on those guys anymore than we have to. I would say Robert Griffin was at least kind to Nebraska. When yeah, came.
0: I thought I thought he was better against the Wisconsin game. I didn't think yeah. he was great, but on the Wisconsin game, I thought he was a little bit better than the than Michigan. And it's yeah. tough because Michigan, obviously, you're you're excited to call that game. Yeah, because they're a juggernaut. You're going to call a college football playoff caliber team and um with the wisconsin game being at nebraska he was a little bit more kind and probably a little bit more researched on nebraska having it been his second week matt mullen has no excuse (laughs) i I I don't know know what's going on with that dude when he's calling a game i'm like oh man i'm gonna listen to my my grandpa talk for (laughs) for the next three hours and none of it's gonna be good oh man did you (laughs) do you have any do you have any other offensive uh
1: Anything else on the offense
0: that you wanted to? Uh, offensive, no. no offensive. Just more Matt Mullen. Right. You know, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I'm I'm happy to look into the defense and and the first thing that jumps out of me the way that this defense played is that they created the defense created three ton- turnovers and special teams brought a, a brought a fourth and yeah a, a game ceiling turnover. Um, just two turnovers off the edge mm-hmm. off that edge rush, where I don't know about you, but just sitting when when uh Tivamaga Clements had that that big strip sack on Padilla and yeah. Garrett Nelson had the recovery. God, I wanted him to score was it I, I, I from where we were sitting, I could count and see that it was six to five Nebraska's advantage on that rush, and it was just missed by Padilla. he just missed that coverage yes and and it was one where you're like, oh this is gonna be fun. From, yeah, from the moment
1: the ball was snapped, yeah, even before that, it, you yeah, were just like, like,
0: "This is gonna be bad." And yeah. and Kirk Ferentz in his in his post game laid that blame one hundred percent on Padilla. Nice, good one hundred percent. He goes, you know, sometimes it's just up to the quarterback to see that. Yeah, if Petrus
1: was in, I'm sure he would have caught it. Oh, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> oh, oh wait, but no, the, he didn't because Newsom did it to that's him. Right. Yeah, because Newsom had already.
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah, they were getting. They were generating a ton of edge pressure that obviously Ativa and, and uh Newsom with the strip sacks, but then you saw Tanner, Kevin, Tanner, and Nelson, there, they Nelson, were all
0: Mathis. All of them were getting back there. Ty Robinson was having a nice day yeah. in the backfield, getting good push. Yep. Um, Colton feast Colton was, feast. was doing his thing. Uh, Mocker mm-hmm. was getting some good time on the nose. Just that, that whole defensive line, I think had their best. Actually, I think both of Nebraska's lines probably had their best day of the season yesterday, offensive yeah. and defensive. And, Iowa's a tough team to run against, and that offensive line was creating holes for Ramir to get through, um, and Iowa's offensive line is known for being somewhat decent, but when you go back and you watch Iowa versus Wisconsin, I think Nebraska studied that film pretty hard because the way that uh, that Wisconsin was able to get pressure on on Iowa, Nebraska did the exact same thing. And it led yeah. to good things. It led to capitalizing on points. Yeah. It led to winning the game. Right.
1: And not well, not having a uh, any semblance of a passing attack. You know, not having receivers that are able to create separation or get open. Um, losing Sam Laporta before the before the game. Not having your top uh, pass catcher in there at all. Um, and then and then getting bumped to your second string quarterback mid game. You know, unexpectedly, that can create all sorts of of issues. And so I think at that point. Um, that also kind of gave. Right, I mean, and you have nothing to lose, but I think that Bill Bush really saw, like, you know, we're just gonna cut them loose, yeah, um, and and sell out um, on these blitzes, and it and it paid off in a big way. Um, you know, they got they got burned a few times in the run game, yeah, um, and it wasn't because they weren't trying to guard the run. I think that they were stacking the box a little bit too throughout the game. Like they were still accounting for for stopping the run. Um, Iowa just had some plays where they just beat them. Yeah, and, and um, but you, not enough.
0: You expect that from Iowa, right? Mm-hmm. Like at um, least from Iowa, you expect a team that's never going to stop fighting back. Yeah, and as as much as you hate that when you're their opponent, you like to see it when you just when you're a fan of football, right? Right. That like this is going to be a game for four quarters. Iowa's never a team to roll over and die. Kurt Ferens even said in the press conference, "Hey, you know when we were down." and we had you know still 10 points to go or something we had them right where we wanted them you, and it's like even yeah you
1: kind of believe that it's true with with um i mean you had a 24 point lead right and so and you never felt comfortable
0: i mean that's nebraska being nebraska though too like that's that's us having this historical data over how many seasons where it's like it, it's we're not confident till the clock hits zero yeah
1: that's true um it doesn't I, stop but, us for being but, cocky <laughs> on the <this time>. side <laughs> oh, yeah, oh man um but but when they scored that they scored that first touchdown on that run um and then um uh, and then the next time it, and it would it was twenty four to seven but there was they had that score going with what like eight minutes left in the game, yeah. And even then, man, you're thinking that it's it still possible whether yeah. they had the ball, or we had the ball. It was like,
0: and that's, and then Ramir had the turnover and that's mm-hmm. when you start to go, uh Oh, this whole thing's unwinding. That's when, yeah. Cause that, cause it's, it goes from being like, you know, it's like, you know,
1: Iowa is, is the type of team that finds ways to win. They'll scrap mm-hmm. it out. They'll keep fighting to the end. Nebraska is the one that finds ways to lose. Um, So there wasn't a there wasn't a big enough a real big enough cushion. It felt like if they had one more touchdown in the bag, obviously like that would have (laughs) been. It always feels like if there's one more touchdown. If we had thirty one to nothing lead, um, (laughs) but but just yeah, those things paired together, and then that yeah, the fumble was the thing that made it feel like the curse was back. Like that's what makes you feel like something is working against you, sure, um, actively. And so, yeah, but, but, um, you know, credit to uh, the defense for, for making the stops when they had to. Yeah. Um,
0: Man, how heartbreaking they, was it though, time after time to have those interceptions that were just right in their oh, mid. yeah, that yeah. It just felt like it, it could have been a six turnover game for Nebraska instead of four. Right.
1: Yeah, they could have sealed it earlier um, with those. And I know uh, Qu- that was, those were both um, Quentin Newsome and he was catching some heat for that and I don't. I mean, I get it. Like you want your, you want if you if you have the ball in your hands, you want to catch
0: it, right? Like you yeah. should catch it. But hey, he's a he's a
1: DB. Like he's not a receiver. Um, see, he's in the right place at the right time. He's breaking down a pass. He's breaking it up. Um, and then he had he had the the strip the sack and yeah. he, and he forced a fumble earlier in the game. A great like, game. He was still yeah. having a great game. Um, and I actually thought um that that Iowa was. Was really attacking him throughout this game. Yeah, I don't think that they really were trying to go after Malcolm, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, um, I think part of that is because I think they were they were going to tight ends a lot, and so tight ends are like up covered up by our linebackers and stuff mostly. But um, but when they were throwing um, to receivers, especially, like it felt like they were going after Quentin. They were going to his side of the ball, and so. Um, I just, that was just something of interest to me, I sure. guess. It's like, okay, so Malcolm went from being the guy that was getting thrown on early in the season to now, uh, you have a team that's, it seems like it's, they're, they're avoiding him. Yeah. Um, because he's had so many interceptions. Absolutely. So. But anyway, um yeah i don't uh I don't know what else. what else you got anything that you want to talk yeah, about you with know the defense
0: it's more so iowa's offense that i'm just i'm I'm so perplexed by like yeah. you've got an offensive line that can clearly bully this this defensive line around if you choose to, but I think the longer that you try and throw the ball on them or try and do these shallow mesh routes with your tight ends and things like that or you're trying to throw to the edge, like you're just putting your bat on Nebraska's good right yeah. don't attack Nebraska's secondary when you're not known for it like Purdue had success yeah. with it because they've got a quarterback who can throw it through the tightest of windows right and you've got receivers who can make great plays like every great play that happened for iowa's uh receivers happened damn near out of bounds like there was never a, a, a solid like reception where you're like man what a great catch it was always a question mark and i just mm-hmm. am so perplexed by that that they they don't tend to have that introspection to like better themselves and 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 Mark Whipple can be the same way, right? Where that you're like, this feels like you could just run all over us if you chose to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the alternative side with Mark Whipple's offense, it's like when we need to run, you're like, well, just keep passing the ball because that's more efficient for what we're doing. And then we get frustrated because Mark Whipple's not attacking anymore. He's being conservative. And it's like, that's when we tend to kind of drop these games. But no, I thought, you know, Nebraska's defense was making me nervous. Padilla was putting up, you know, a, a scare. He was starting to move the ball downfield and, uh, Nebraska's defense wasn't getting the stops and Iowa was starting to gain that confidence and their running attack was really coming to life in that second half. Yeah, um, but They were then, bringing
1: the crowd back into it too. They were. And I was like, Kinnick got pretty loud. I was Yeah, surprised. surprisingly
0: on that big run, it yeah. it really came back to life. And you're like, man, where have these people been this yeah. whole game? But then, you know, near the end of the game, you just felt no urgency from that offense. and, and You didn't, but
1: I thought that that was, I didn't see that as a bad thing. Um, I know we shit on Iowa a lot, like their offense and how like stubborn and conservative they are, but, um, but we also talk about like the importance of an identity in a team and, um, that's their identity, right? Like they know they're not going to be able to like, they're not going to try to throw it to get back in the game. They're not going to try to do what we were doing with Trey Palmer. They don't have that guy. They don't have that quarterback. Um, I felt like they stayed true to who they were and they really did play their way back into the game with yeah. that game plan, yeah. and they did that despite the turnovers on offense and despite the turnovers on special teams. Um, and so they like in that moment, and I think that's what that's what um, that's why Kirk Ferentz is the way he is. That's why he's so fucking stubborn. Sorry, Kathy, um, is because he because he's just he he knows like I can keep leaning on this because it's gotten me out of those. Got me out of those um, situations enough times or at least got me back to a point where I have a chance in games like this yeah so um and with an opponent like Nebraska we talked about this before a lot of teams will go in there saying we're just gonna wait for them to beat themselves sure and this was the game that Nebraska didn't beat themselves yeah so
0: felt pretty good it
1: felt it felt really fucking yeah. good yeah.
0: Um, my favorite play when Nebraska was on defense though had nothing to do with the turnovers. It yeah. was when there was like a minute thirty left on the game and Garrett Nelson gets his big old pop, swats the ball, and then Iowa's offensive lineman was like, I got this is a ball I have to catch. I need to bring this catch in. And then the clock just keeps running. Like it felt like the most Iowa when I talk about no urgency, mm. they didn't even like rush back. It wasn't like a quick let's get the ball and like snap and spike or something like that. It was like let's just keep going. There's a minute twenty one left in the game. Yeah. We can we can do this. Um and then a few plays later, you know. Clarvick seals the deal and yeah uh Chance Brewington who's sitting on the sidelines just praying for a win gets to celebrate oh man
1: yeah and Chance he was off on his own um which is is not a knock like not he's he's away from his teammates in that moment but I think that's just because again that just shows like like how much these players like really really care about this about winning these games winning this game in particular um, you know that's his, that was probably his way of of handling the stress of that moment when yeah. you're on the oh, side, yeah. you're it's out of your control at that point right yeah. like he did everything he could do with his when he was on the field and so um so yeah that was I, I that was another cool thing about the experience was just getting to see the way that guys process their emotions on the sidelines and how they handled those situations yeah
0: um and made it all the you know all the
1: better when they ended up winning and got got to experience that yeah joy so
0: so the last area to cover is special teams and i mean i think there's to me, there's two big plays. Obviously, one is the muffed, muffed punt, and then yeah. Nebraska basically stealing another possession on that front as well where they're moving really deep into enemy territory, and that's what uh, brought about the Washington touchdown, if I remember correctly, where he just gets hit with the dart over the middle and yeah. and they get the six points there. And then um, they had, Brian Boomshini had that one punt where, yeah, man, man, that's one of those little things where you're like, I hope that gets cleaned up next year. Special teams has gotten increasingly better. But we didn't really down a whole lot within the five. Yeah. Something that Iowa is masterful at. Yeah, Nebraska really hasn't had a lot of that and they had a perfect opportunity late in the game. Bushini hit a great punt and Iowa Fair caught it, got out of the way and then it just kind of dribbles in that between just, two Huskers and you're just, like, oh. Yeah. Like that, that, was a, just pinned them. that was another one of those where you went, oh, this is where we beat ourselves. Like we yeah. could have put them deep. We could have had a safety. We could have forced them to not be themselves, be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And yet now they've got 20 yards of relief and and it felt like another one of those moments, but then obviously the defense stepped up and shut them down. But um, those are the things I want to see cleaned up moving forward in special teams. And and it's nice to be cleaning up special teams and not rebuilding special teams.
1: Yes. Yeah. We are to that point now where um, there's very clearly more positives than the negatives. Um, and, And we have, we have specialists here coming in that I think we can rely on in that, in that phase of the game. Um, I was, I think we talked about this a little bit as it was happening, but I wish that they would have part of me. I still now I'm thinking back. I'm like, I don't know. But at the moment I was like, I, I wish they would have gone for the field goal in that moment. I wish that, that, um, they would have attempted it. And I know that bleak road doesn't have the biggest leg. Um, he had missed the, the one early on, on their opening drive, I think. Um, and so, and, and you have Bushini who I think you can count as a weapon as a punter. Um, and so I get what they're trying to do. You want to pin them deep. They got no timeouts. They're going to have a minute left. Um, Iowa's obviously not a, an offense that um, can score at will or just march down the field. They don't have that up-tempo. I don't think they're comfortable with that. So I, I understand, like, a lot of the reasoning for punting there. Um, but wh- what we saw happen was, you know, the the touchback. So you only gained, we gained, what, 14 yep, yards? Yep, 14. Off of that punt. Um, we saw Iowa early in their game go – a 90 minute drive um they did it in under three minutes so it was for them that's like that's a fast pace they sprinted yeah. um and uh and then we also know um that that we you know I don't, nebraska, we're nebraska like we tend to do this to ourselves where we have these collapses and so i felt like that was a good opportunity to to put your put your faith in your kicker and say go out there and win the game because if you make that field goal it's it's done. Yeah. You're up by two scores under uh, under a minute left. Um and they don't have any timeouts left. So because then they have to drive the field score, get the ball back and score. Yeah. So as opposed to if you miss that field goal, um they still have under a minute to go or about a minute to go. They still don't have timeouts and I think they still had like like 70 yards or so to drive which they're not known for doing that either. Yeah, And they had to score a touchdown. They couldn't just get it to field goal position. Right, so right. I felt like the reward of getting the field goal um, was worth it compared to the risk of missing it. Yeah. And so I was, I, I mean, I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to nitpick. That it all worked out. But I just, in that moment, and now even afterwards, I'm kind of like, man, I wish they would. I feel like that would have been the call I would have made. Okay. So well, I just wanted to voice my opinion. You're not getting paid $9 million a year <laughs> to make calls on the I sidelines. Know. Not yet. <laughs> that would be that
0: would be that would be the best thirty for thirty. It, the, <laughs> the story of you swindling your way onto yes. the sidelines,
1: Matt Rule. If you want to call the wannabe talk ons hotline and just go ahead and uh, schedule an interview with me, yeah, yeah, as
0: a special teams coordinator, yeah. <laughs> that'd be something. Uh, the, the I guess the last thing that I have to talk about on this special teams was I've uh, I've never seen the call of jumping the shield. And uh, in the stadium, I still didn't know that that was the call. Yeah. And I think it took how long? An hour and a half on the drive home <laughs> until we realized that was the call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that he was. Because when Listen, that happened live, yeah. and and we all thought that Bushini got hit, and we were like, he didn't get hit, they, but they I called were, it. I don't
1: think anybody knew because they kept
0: replaying it, and it was so loud at that. The boos were. Everybody so loud. was booing
1: because it was like he didn't, and then people were around us like he didn't get touched, he didn't get touched, and even we were like he didn't yeah.
0: get touched. But when like, you watch the replay. Whoever it was that jumped the shield got there. Sorry, Kathy. Shit rocked when they got <laughs> lifted and upended. That's why and he, brought yeah. down. And that rule exists for that yeah, purpose exactly, it, it, yeah, so that you are safe in, in doing so. But um, yeah, I thought from from all three aspects of the of the of the team with offense, defense, and special teams it was a very complete game. There weren't a lot of mistakes being made. Offense was executing. Defense was executing. Special teams was doing their job. Timmy missed a, a tough one, but it, it was a tough one, right? You're, you're, uh, you're on the left hash. You're trying to cut it across, make your way through. It's early on, what have you. And and he was warming up right next to us, so we said nothing to him afterwards. We kind of were just like, that's tough, yeah, but I don't want to jinx him. And then he went out and he hit another one. And then yeah. you're like, all right, we got our kicker back. He's okay. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, man, I don't know if there's, if there's ever been a, a better first away game
1: ever uh, experienced by anyone ever probably not there might not be a better uh football game ever played in the history of Nebraska football <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say
0: in the last 7 years but you know hey oh man but you know it's all about perspective so absolutely so again Nebraska wins this one 24-17 they end Iowa's hopes at the Big 10 West with Purdue coming through with the win and then Illinois backing up just to be you know on the on the safe side in case Purdue can't fulfill their duties yeah you know yeah. Illinois is right there to back them up and uh they
1: probably I earned Brian Ferencz a raise. Yep. You know, for are yep. putting up a watch. We put up 17 points.
0: <laughs> right. a boy, Brian. In one half. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you do it in two halves. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the same game. <laughs> All
1: right. Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show know that Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska.
0: The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry has a $600 million impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of
1: craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information.
0: You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting Nebraska.beer. Well, Drew, now that the 2022 season is in the record books for Nebraska, it's time for us to reflect on the season that that was with some immediate introspection, which, you know, is just going to be hyperbole bullshit, whatever it happens to be. Sorry, <laughs> Kathy. But you know what is real? The it beers we real. drank. Yes. And the way that we felt about those. Yeah. Real so, and really good. Um, I've got some fun stats about the beer we drank. Nice. I love stats. So. We drank, you want to guess how many different beers we drank this season?
1: Uh, last time it was in the 60s. We
0: we, we dialed back a little bit <laughs> for, for our liver's sake, for our wives' sake. We we definitely dialed back. Yeah. We did fewer beers. Okay. Did uh, we reach the 50? Did we, we did reach not. The 50 mark? We wow. did not reach the 50 mark. Do we deserve
1: to be a podcast about beer?
0: <laughs> Jesus. I, I think we do. I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. You, what we did last year is when we had a sportsman sip, for, uh-huh. for one, we did a sportsman sip every episode, which Oh that's true. <laughs> so so not only that, but then also we had more brewery visits. And you remember what happened yeah. when we went to the breweries yeah. is They're they generous. were like, Well, you gotta try everything we have on tap, and we're like, Okay. And then everything we have in the back that's not even like <laughs> fully fermented, but you can drink it anyway. So we didn't do as much of that. Okay. So that's why we did get scaled down a little bit. Yeah. But I will say so okay, I'll
1: say I'm gonna guess forty-five, but I want it before. We go further. I will say that when we weren't drinking on the show and performing, I was practicing a lot.
0: Oh, I know, baby. I know you were. Yeah, I know you were. Yeah, you, you play. Were. You play how you practice. And yeah. so and that doesn't take into consideration the the beers we drank when we were guests on uh, Big Dudes in the Trenches. Uh, that yeah. doesn't take into consideration yeah. the night that we stayed overnight at the um, Divots. And we had free reign of their entire oh, yeah. tap where we, we <laughs> didn't drink responsibly, but we also stayed overnight. We walked home. We did. We Across walked back the to the hotel. Right. So Such a cool setup. That was, that was incredible. Yeah. A highlight of the season for, for sure. many reasons. For sure. Um. So. Anyway. You said 45? 45, yeah. Did we do 45. 37. Okay. So it's a little bit smaller than last year. It's or a little over half, but.
1: More than um, our offense averaged per game.
0: Yeah. If we're talking about beers versus points. Yeah. So 37 beers. Um, How many different breweries did we try this season?
1: Um, I'm going to say, including sportsman sips? Yeah. 22? Ooh, 24. Oh, okay. I was Very close. close.
0: Do you want to guess how far, and now this doesn't count the international beers that we drank for the Ireland Ireland, game. Yeah. Uh, But do you want to guess how far all of our local beers and our sportsman sip beers traveled to get to us collectively, collectively. told oh. you like these. These are fun stats.
1: <laughs> okay, Um I'm gonna say collective. If we did, how, how many beers do we do? I know we just said 37, 37 beers. beers. Each one individually. Each, well, each count it all brewery. calculated it
0: up, right? Because you could uh, you can assume that from each brewery. So 24 is really the number of breweries. Okay. That we tried beers from. So how far did that beer travel? Because this say... these two beers from Code traveled the same distance. It's not like they both. They didn't take two vehicles to get here.
1: Okay, well, I don't know if it was like counting them like, you know, no, people, no, no, okay. No, no. Okay. I'm going to say we did oh, we did 1600 miles.
0: Oh, here we go. Okay, oh, so boy. now you're guessing oh, no. the under 3585 no. miles of beer road traveled wow. to get to us. That's like across the US. I think that's like to the moon and back a few <laughs> times. At least it felt like that. <laughs> Okay. Oh man. Now That's here's insane. here is the the final stat I have for you to guess. What were our top 4 most consumed beer styles?
1: Uh, I'm going to say cream ale, okay,
0: porter, okay. Uh
1: IPA, okay, and light lager.
0: You got 2 out of the 4. Ooh. And these were surprising for me this year. So, okay. um in the number 4 spot. Uh-huh. There was actually a, a, a three-way tie for second place. Nice three-way. So, so. <laughs> so uh, Barley Wines. Oh, wow. I IP- wonder who runs the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so those right. are my favorite beers. <laughs> barley Wines are my favorite beer style, but All right. we had Barley Wines. That's good. That's uh, good. Four Barley Wines on the show. Okay. IPAs, uh, four. Okay. Porter's. Four. Nice. So there. there you go. Okay. That's one of your favorite styles. <laughs> yeah. I try and spread the wealth. That's fair enough. And then our number one most drank beer style on the show this season should tell you how the season went because they're heavy. Oh, no. Stouts. <laughs> Barrel aged stouts, baby. Oh, wow. Had five of those this season. Some heavy hitters. Yeah. So those were the uh, the the stats for the, the season. Nice. So- Let's reflect back on the beer that we had. What were some of your uh, your favorites? Some of your standouts? Some of the ones that surprised you? Like what's uh, what's out there for nice. you? What's out there for our listeners? So who- I
1: did um, sort of a ranking system, um, but not really. Um, so I just had a I had a lot I had a lot of ones that I, yeah, that I earmarked as like just yeah they they, they stood out to me. Um, and so just a, this is in order of of episode of how how, how we went along. Um, But so hairball black lager from big hair was a big one. I thought that um, black lager is not a, a popular style, but it's it's so it's such a cool style that blends the lager, obviously, with like the roast from the black malt. And so it's just a unique style, but, um, Cosmic Eye does one called Gaze of the Basilisk, which I think is one of the best beers brewed in Nebraska.
0: Okay. Um, I will say too that, that hairball, when we were at Lagerfest, mm-hmm. murdered, that was like one of the most popular beers. It cleaned up. Yeah. It big hair tapped out on by, that. Yes. Everyone's coming back. For we more. helped tap them out on that. We did. Yeah. Cause I, well, that's, that's big hair's fault. They were like, let's go enjoy the <laughs> festival. Do you guys mind running our booth? And we were like, yeah, we'll drink <laughs> yeah, your beer. That's right. fine. <laughs>
1: Oh man, but they're yeah, so their hairball black lager. I thought I think it goes shoulder to shoulder with with gaze of the Basculus, which is about the best compliment that I think I can give it. Um, Beam Scottish export from seven one nine. Uh, I'm probably gonna not pronounce this right because I don't speak French. But the Robodeau Rendezvous the Summer Ale from Flyover um, Skinny Legs IPA from White Elm. That's one that's pretty commonly found in like high V's and stuff around the state. If you want to pick up a can, I think that's a really great. IPA, um, Corgis and the Queen IPA yeah. from Site One, uh, that was really good. And like I said, I got a lot. Uh, the The Honu Turtle Porter from Rock Hopper, um, Half-Life, uh, which was the barrel-aged Imperial style from Barley and Barley Wine Blend from Jukes, and then some recent ones, the Tub Thumper Porter from 505, and then Roger's ESB from Code, I thought, such an incredibly balanced, drinkable beer. Um, so those were all my ones that like that really jumped out to me. Um, the ones that surprised me were the ones that I that I would normally go for that you brought to the table. Um, the dry side, the dry citrus cider from Sarah uh, Brewing Company was uh, really good. We went to Vallis this year and they opened their cider mill, so you can we you know when we we're there we we tried their ciders, yeah, uh, um, and they're good. I'm not gonna knock them, but this this citrus cider was like head and shoulders above. I mean it's yeah that one was special.
0: I think one of the things that that people uh, might be surprised by when, when they go to trying different craft ciders is the lack of sweetness and more of the flavor balance and the dryness and yeah. it's more of a wine drinking experience than it is so much a, a cider kind of apple juice experience and there's a yes. lot that exists out there and Saro does a really nice job uh, of, of sampling more of those dry ciders that uh, sh- that lend to more of the flavor of the fruit themselves in in a similar way that the wine does. So I'm glad that you enjoyed that experience. Yeah, very and much so. We've got some more ciders to try next season as well, and, oh, and we'll we'll search Thanks, for those. Yeah. I know that Glacial Till has a dry cider that we'll we'll probably give a try to uh, coming up soon. There's some cideries in like Scott's Bluff Valles is a part of the Nebraska mm-hmm. Craft Brewers Guild. So yeah. you know there's always a possibility for us to uh, take a road trip to. The pumpkin patch right. for an episode. Who knows? <laughs> you know, record one around the bonfire. Right, that'd be great. They do. They do one that's a black
1: currant cider at Vallas. That was really good. Oh, nice. Um, but I do. I like the. I do like. I like the dry, crispy, snappy type. I prefer to the sweetness and the sweet. The sweet ones are the ones that I always came across, and so that's why I was always uh, put off by them. But anyway, um, the Naked Orange, the Naked Orange Stinger fruit beer from Bootleg um, was another really good one. So. If you're going to put fruit in a beer, if it's citrus, I'll usually, I'll come around to it. Yeah. Um, but that was good. so my top beers, I have two. Okay. Um, And it, and it. Can I guess? Yeah. I think you know, cause it's think the, yeah, you can guess. Okay. Um, are yours. they from the same brewery? Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah. So it's Corn Coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Corn Coast knocked they it blew, out of the park. They blew me away. Yeah. They really did. And I'm so glad that we um, were able to feature them and we were able to get out there and get their beer and try them out. Um, again, they're only what, a year and a half old now. Yeah. And, um, being a, you know, a nano brewery, they're not, they're not distributing or anything. Um, but are yeah, the, the, we did the true classic pale ale with hundred percent cascade hops, the devil dog Belgium, um, which was just an incredibly balanced, you know, almost sessionable Belgium style ale. Um, that, yeah, that one, that brewery blew my mind. Their yeah. beer Blew my mind. And so, yeah, I, I'm, and then again, there were so many good so many good fucking beers. Sorry, Kathy, but there's so many good beers this year This year that we got to try. And I'm yeah. very grateful that we got to try. Um, but those two, I think. And you didn't sound grateful eight, when it was only 37 <laughs> beers. But when you look back on them. You look back and it's
0: like, yeah, it's actually a lot. It's a it lot really of different is. beer from a lot of different places. And, we, and and and
1: yeah, and we barely put a dent in what Nebraska has to offer. That's the craziest thing to me is that there's so much that we did last year that we didn't do this year. That we still haven't tried or, or featured on the, the podcast. Yeah. that. There's a lot to look forward to, so
0: I gotta say I'm very excited because uh, in our research and prepping for next year, which you know we're already in the midst of, is is looking at what breweries are out there, what breweries are within driving distance, within a reasonable road trip. A lot more places are crowling, uh, so they're able to can stuff, so the freshness hangs yeah. out for us, so we can gather a lot of those and and feature more of those that are even further outside. This year, we we focused a little bit more on the Omaha Lincoln area. Um, but we still were able to kind of get out and explore the rest of the state. And for that 3,500 miles, the state's only like 400, 500, 600 miles wide. Yeah. So to be able to to go back and forth through that quite a bit kind of surprised me. Um, you hit on a lot of my favorites as well. Um, the Robidoux uh, Rendezvous Edition Summer Ale from Flyover was a big one, but also their, their barrel-aged Blackfoot Barley Wine. You know, there yeah. it is, that barley wine yeah. creeping in. <laughs> um, you introduced me to White Elm with skinny legs, and that one was a hit. They also had the Stone the Crow two year barrel-aged oh, yeah. barley wine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sensing it. So, uh pretty much if it was a barley wine. I was a big <laughs> fan of it. Um you hit it with Sight one again as well with the Corgis and the Queen was another one of my personal favorites. I think that is up there. Uh, you know, you mentioned that the black lager is, you know, on par with one of the best black lagers made in the state. I think that Corgi's and the Queen is one of the best IPAs I've had from the state and I've recommended that one to to folks both personally and online. Um, Jukes always knocks it out of the park, whatever we have from Jukes, you know, they're, they're close, they're good friends, uh, and, and they're great brewers. So we had their double abyssal mouth. We had mm-hmm. the half-life anniversary. Those were just killer. You also brought a great one that I've never had before, which was the, uh, the two hearted ale American IPA from Bells. Oh yeah, uh, That was my favorite sportsman sip that we had this season. Uh, it was a great beer. Uh, that's, that's a beer. And, and I hope this doesn't sound like an insult to beer drinkers, but that's a beer that I would use in a cocktail as well. For a beer because I think that it's a really balanced flavor, but those hop notes come through, Um, you know, we've, we've shared some beer cocktails with each other. And that's one where I think that you could really balance some really like fun fruit notes and then have that beer come through and just complement that so well, but it also drinks incredibly well on its own. So not only is it a good beer, it's a good ingredient, which is like a weird compliment to pay. But, but when you explore, th- you think about like,
1: yeah, you think about like a barrel aged beer. It's it's the beer is still the featured event, but it's it's almost becomes an ingredient because you're introducing all these other elements and you need yeah. a good quality beer to stand up to that. So
0: Um and then, yeah, Corn Coast 505 and Code, man, we we ended on a one hell of we, a run. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. I thought maybe
1: it was recency bias, you know, but. Um, we just, yeah, Yeah. we strung together some really great breweries. Beer is
0: beer and beer is good. And Nebraska brews some great beer. We just, we also got really lucky that I think some new favorites were found, uh, near the back end of the season. And I think that's one hell of a way to, to end the year, right. Is to end it on a high note and get excited again, to go out and search and revisit some of these places, find new places, maybe hopefully sit down with some of these brewers and and get them on the podcast and just hear their story firsthand and how they go about making beer and Nebraska community and like. The nice thing about this off season is not only are we going to have, you know, like this, this uh, sense of renewed hope for the football team, but we're getting further away from a pandemic where people's doors are more welcome and bars are starting to get busier and yeah. um, new breweries like heavy are opening up around the state yeah. or salt mine city and uh, David city mm-hmm. are opening up. So there's new, new possibility lumen in downtown Omaha, like so much fun stuff is going to be going on where we've got a lot of work ahead of us yeah, uh, to prep for the next season so that we can bring some of these new guys to the table and some of these longstanding breweries.
1: Yeah. Very excited about that for sure.
0: So as we, as we put a pin on, on this season, do you have any takeaways from the the football season? That was anything that you want to touch on? Or are you feeling like, man, let's just.
1: Well, yeah. Like I said, I think, I think Friday we, we closed the book. We, that yeah. that's it. Um, it, there's going to be obviously a lot of stuff to discuss and, um, you know, a lot of stuff to consume in terms of Nebraska football with, uh, with Matt Rule and the team that he brings in. Um, you know, and just and it'll be all eyes forward. I think at this point, and so um, I think I think Matt Rule is going to be a guy that uh, that the fan base can really rally around. I think that Trev did a good job uh, bringing in a just making the right hire. Yeah, you know, for the right time. Um, you know, looking back on this season, man, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to look back on it. Cause again, I think I've recency bias right now. I think I had such a great experience at the Iowa game. Um, you know, it was some, it felt like somewhat of a send off, maybe for, for, you know, obviously for some of the, for the seniors, um, potentially for a lot of these coaches. And so, um, but it was, it was a nice way to end what I think was not always the most easy season to get through oh absolutely
0: so if uh, if you would have told me at the at the start of the season that three games in our head coach is going to be fired and we're going to have nine games with an interim head coach I would have said well how many wins did we have before Scott Frost was fired because that's it yeah. right like this team's already being held together by needle and thread and yet we've got someone in Mickey with the staff that he put together with the difficult choices he made like letting go of Chanander and mm-hmm you know, promoting Bill Bush to interim, all of those things going on. And this team just continued to rally. And that's going to be my big takeaway is that there's there's a Husker spirit, there's a fighting spirit that as long as this fan base continues to turn out its support and and gives this team a reason to keep fighting, you know, that's what we can do. We yeah. can continue to support the players, celebrate the players, be grateful for these coaches putting it in, uh, putting all that work into this this team and, and putting – their lives on hold for 12 weeks in the fall to give us this enjoyment and this this thing to celebrate. And even if it's four wins, to be able to culminate it with the win against Iowa and to understand that it means just as much to the fans as it does to the players and the coaches, probably means more to them, to be honest, because it's not my body being put on the line except for my bruised knees and my bad shoulder <laughs> <laughs> from, from all that and our, our – you know, voices and what have you. I gave up my voice because I don't know how to yell appropriately. Yeah. You got uh, breathe from the diaphragm. Is that it? You gotta you let it out from there. Yeah. Uh, more open. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going, "Oh boy, Billy," <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. Just, "Oh boy, Billy, let's fucking go, let's fucking go." And then to have Bill Bush. that's fucking black shirts, baby. let fucking black shirts. <laughs> but right. I'm just, I'm just so ever grateful for for what this season really showed us was, was that like there is this undeniable spirit with Nebraska football and you can beat us down and, and, you know, we can just be pulled through the mud. um, But when you bring in kids who are here to play for the right reasons and you get a leader who says, you know, you're playing for the university, not yourself, not for me. And everyone gets moving in the right direction, which is what sounds like what attracted Matt rule yeah. to Nebraska is that forward pull by, the chancellor, the president, the AD, and now himself. If everyone's moving in the same direction, we're never going to have to worry about the player's commitment. We're never going to have to worry about their enthusiasm, and we're never going to see them quit the way that we saw the team in black and gold quit on Friday. Yeah, And I can hang my hat on that, and I can feel pretty damn good about that moving forward. I
1: like that. Um, we talked about when Frost was going through his struggles or whatever, maybe even after he got fired. I don't remember separating him the player and the coach looking yeah. back yeah being appreciative of what he did as a player while recognizing that he was not a good coach here um and I think that's going to be kind of it with Mickey too there's gonna be something similar we can look back and be um incredibly grateful for what he did um you know as as the interim coach and what he what he provided and it wasn't <clears throat> excuse me it wasn't a bowl game or anything like that but he really, he kept everything together.
0: Yeah. He still made me look forward to Saturday. On uh, every, 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 every week, time. there was still a fighting chance. Yeah. Because every week it was like, is this the week that these guys are going to give up? And the answer was never.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I ever even asked myself, like, is this the week they give up? Like, it was, I, I was, it was always more hopeful than that. It wasn't, no. yeah. Well, I,
0: that was my question. And that's, no, that, yeah, that's, that's was... a valid
1: question. I'm not, yeah, that's a valid question. Um, there were, you know, and like going into the Michigan game, I was like, "But I'm, you know it wasn't like oh we can't wait to see if we pull it off um but it but it, yeah he did he provided more than a more than a spark it was yeah it was just it was something that like you could really look forward to week in and week out and so um and i imagine that what he did for the players was just infinitely more oh yeah um and for the coaches that he that coaching staff that he kept together um again infinitely more so
0: if if i would have told you in week 3 that this program's going to be better by the end of the season, after, after frost gets fired, this program is going to be in a better, more hopeful spot, even before the coach hiring, the coach announcement, all that stuff. Would you believe me? Would you have been like, I, yeah, I buy it. It was with frost
1: being fired With frost being fired. If I if said, said, okay, frost so frost is, gets fired and we get four wins out of the season and we're in a better spot. I would say, no, like I would at that point, like if you at the beginning of the season, if that was it, um, no. Yeah. Cause yeah. no, cause and. Yeah. Some of that was because I was delusional, you know, a little bit with the with just off season hype, um, and hope, but um, but no, you like, you still expect some incremental growth, and you yeah. expect that growth to be showcased in the win column, yeah, um, and we didn't see that, but it was again another year where you can look look back on the record and say like it it's not necessarily indicative of what actually happened, yeah, or or how you'll remember the season,
0: you know, and I really appreciate too, like when you look at Husker fans and you look at like. The, the conversations on social media and you hear the, the coaches talk, nobody ever said, well, give us a break. Look at our situation. Everyone said like, this is the hand we're dealt. And you know what? We're either going to bluff or we're going to go all in, but either way we're winning this hand. And I feel like they went in with that attitude week in and week out. And, you know, poor, boo on me as, as a fan for just assuming that there might be a, a moment to give up. Um, but it, it just, you kind of expected it with the kind of leadership that was in place beforehand and, and then you get a guy like Mickey who, you know, everyone's going to be talking about. And, and we might know by the time this comes out on Tuesday, we're recording on a Sunday that that Mickey is is with the program moving forward in the 2023 season, or he's not. But he's earned the right to take whatever job is best for him, yeah. whatever is right for him. And we owe that as as the Nebraska fan base, as our thank you to, if you want to hang around here, buddy, my arms can't be open wide enough. But if you need to go somewhere else and and – you know, be a head coach, which you clearly are cut out for, yeah. or you want to be, uh, you know, uh, a wide receivers coach elsewhere, or, or whatever it happens to be. I'm also fully in your corner. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be the first one to say thank you and to always hold him in such a high regard because, I mean, I don't have the Friday I had, I don't have the memory I had that I'm going to hang on to for the rest of my life without mickey joseph at the helm and for that i'm like eternally grateful that and okay fine whatever it's it's a football game but you're listening to a football podcast so (laughs) (laughs) you know who are you to judge we started a podcast about this shit like we obviously care about it yeah so you don't have to apologize for that
1: um yeah it's yeah yeah that's who i mean that's that's it i the only i will i will cheer for him no matter what is just don't go to fucking
0: wisconsin or iowa well, from the sounds of it, I don't know if Wisconsin's going to be in high favor. They're, well, uh, yeah, they're not. He's not. He wouldn't head coach there. But um. yeah. Well, I mean, if it, can you imagine what would be more wasted? Mickey Joseph being a receivers coach at Wisconsin or <laughs> Mickey Joseph being a receivers coach at Iowa? Like, what would be the 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 two most wasted places he could go? Yeah. Yeah. Army. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Like an MLS, I don't know, like a completely different football. Just a different sport altogether. Just a different sport. Um, Yeah. Well, how about this? How about we raise a glass, we give a cheers to this year, to Mickey Joseph, and uh, and to the future and the past and the present. And fuck, just all of it, man. Beautiful. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Well, that does it for the 2022 football season. We will return in 2023 for a full season under the Herd At Sports banner.
1: Make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Wannabe walk-ons for the latest show information. We will be releasing monthly episodes after the new year, featuring interviews with local breweries, Husker insiders, spring game reactions, and
0: more. All of which will lead into our 2023 Nebraska football season, previews kicking off late in summer of 23.
1: We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this season and who put up with this voice uh, for <laughs> this episode in particular. <laughs> If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation.
0: That does nothing except prove that we record these every friggin' episode. (laughs) Yes. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to tell us where to drink next, and we will go.
1: We will be there. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big
0: Red. Drink Big Red, baby!